0: Hello, Commander. My outfit's supposed to be a defense battalion. Don't see much to defend here. Matter of fact, not much to defend it with.
1: Hello and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin.
0: I'm David Daw.
1: And this week, we watched Wake Island, a propaganda film about going to war and beating the Japanese in World War II. Well, it's actually about losing to the Japanese, but about riling people up to go and try to beat them. Right. And it is very transparent.
0: (laughs) God, yes. I feel like there's sort of three things to talk about here, where it's like this Matryoshka doll. The core thing to talk about is the plot, and that'll take like two minutes.
1: Is that the core thing to talk about? Because the plot is so nothing. What
0: I'm saying is like the doll, the the core of the doll, the smallest thing in the doll, and then we're going to layer outward. Okay, yes. Because the plot is so nothing. A bunch of soldiers and some civilians go out to Wake Island, which is this logistical refueling point for American military planes to get across the Pacific. And they are sort of pissed about this job because it's out in the middle of nowhere and is at like nothing job until the Japanese hit Pearl Harbor and they suddenly realize that they are now on the front lines of a war with Japan, and they stage a valiant last stand battle for this island as long as they can and do some vaguely clever strategic moves that let them last long enough to get a guy out to give some information about battle strategy for later battles, but they fight to the last men and are all killed. Japan takes over the island and then a narrator is like, if you want to go over there and fight them, we need as many tin heads as we can get. <laughs> and then end of film.
1: I mean, it really does end with that. Mm -hmm. It just shows a mass of American troops just marching. It's like, go and sign up now. It's a very weird infomercial for (laughs) the armed forces.
0: In this movie's defense, I think the plot, like you say, is not really the point. In this movie's not defense, I think that means the point is the characters, and Susan, I will be damned if I can identify more than three of them.
1: Well, I have good news and bad news for you. Okay. Which one would you like first?
0: Uh, good news.
1: You're not alone. Okay. The bad news is, neither can I.
0: (laughs) So the important one, question mark, I guess our lead... This is such a weird fucking movie... Because we sort of have two leads. We have the dumpy everyman that's just about to get off the island. But then just as he's going to get on the boat to go home, the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. And he spends some time in civilian clothes before going like, Ah, you know what? I do want to fight him. And then the commanding officer is like, Yeah, no shit. You were actually drafted back in when they attacked Pearl Harbor, idiot. Get your clothes back on.
1: (laughs) Well, he's not going home. He's just going on leave. He's in civilian clothes because he's going away for a weekend or something. But yeah, he's not like out of the army.
0: I thought he was out of the army. I thought his tour was done and he was going home.
1: Oh yeah, maybe.
0: But whatever, it doesn't fucking matter. Because from the moment you identify him, literally in that scene, the other character in that scene is like, you're never going home. And the audience is like, yeah, you're not. This movie's called Wake Island. <laughs> like, I know he's not going home it is clear from the second he goes, I'm about to get out of here.
1: Is that our lead? I it's either- I don't feel like we have a lead. I feel like we have three characters who are the main characters of which he is one And then a lot of other characters that the movie wants to be an ensemble cast where you care about them and then does not know how to do that yet. (laughs)
0: Uh, No, there's him, there's the commanding officer, there's the civilian contractor, and then there's a lot of guys where I go, is that the pilot? No, that one's the pilot. No, is that one the pilot? Which one's the pilot? Are they all pilots?
1: See, I feel like even the civilian contractor, whom I can identify sort of as long as he talks, because he has this very haughty, like, I'm an engineer and I'm better than all of you dipshits, that totally comes off as a chip on his shoulder because he that has some kind of weird insecurity around the fact that he's actually not in the military. That does not make any sense, but whatever. Yeah, And is never explained. It just reads that way. But then Randall, who's the dumpy everyman, his buddy, who's like his comedic partner, and basically they do a lot of goofy shit throughout the movie. And then we're supposed to really care about them when they die? Or like see their death as some heroic, tragic thing when they've just basically been slapsticking around for an hour? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, this movie's short.
0: Yeah, it's hour 28. And genuinely, up until like an hour 15, I was like, is this part one? Like, I should check the Wikipedia page. Is there another 45 minutes of this? Because you don't really get to the siege until the last five minutes.
1: I did the same thing. I thought that I didn't have the whole movie. Because there was no way that this was all that there was.
0: You don't even get to the Japanese attacking until like... 40, 45 minutes in, you're halfway into the movie, and the movie structurally is, you know, Assault on Precinct 13. It's Seven Samurai. It's like, we are wildly outgunned and we're going to hold out for as long as we possibly can. And they make very little of the movie that, which is wild.
1: When you say the Japanese attack at the 45 minute mark... Do you mean Pearl Harbor? (laughs) Yeah. Because I feel like they don't even get anywhere near Wake Island until way later.
0: The Japanese ships show up. The first time the Japanese planes start attacking the island is like halfway into the movie. But the escalation is so slow and there are so many breaks in it. Again, if you're thinking of an Assault on Precinct 13, if you're thinking of a Seven Samurai, the idea is that once the action gets going, it never stops escalating. And there are so many fucking breaks. There are so many periods where they go like, well, we had it pretty bad there for a while, but now we can sort of sit around and plan. And you're like, you can't?
1: The Battle of Wake Island was pretty long, so they must have had some downtime to just build the trenches or whatever that they were building, and play with their dog. The dog is a good part of the movie,
0: right? Although once the dog showed up, and I really internalized what this movie had to be, I sort of am like, "Are they gonna John Wick this dog?" Which thankfully they don't. But like for a while there, I really thought they were gonna have the Japanese kill the dog.
1: I mean, I think. The dog probably makes it. She could crawl in a hole in the ground, you know.
0: I hope so. I think they sort of leave the fate of the dog ambiguous because they neither want to kill a dog on screen to show how evil the Japanese are, nor want to go, I mean, even the Japanese are going to be okay with this cute dog. Like, neither one of those really fits the goal of this movie, which is to be a fairly light propaganda film that makes the ultimate defeat and killing in action of all of our main characters feel like something you and the audience can act on and overcome. <laughs>
1: There are two moments in this that really stuck out for me as what the hell am I watching? You referenced this a few minutes ago, but the, is this one the pilot? Is that one the pilot? So there's a pilot and his name is Patrick. At some point, there's a deep and emotional, or it's supposed to be, conversation where Major Caton talks to him and tells him that his wife was on Pearl Harbor when it was bombed and now she's dead. Then there's a bunch of stuff about trying to get one plane out and and oh we only have one plane left and we only have one pilot and then the pilot's plane gets shot down and then he gets out of it with his parachute and then he gets shot in the air and dies and they try to build all of this emotional resonance around a character we know nothing about so it's like well his wife died i guess that was the pretty girl at the beginning who said something about my husband is going away but we don't know anything about her we haven't really seen him do anything on the island except get told that his wife died and now i'm supposed to feel this deep sense of tragic loss at his specific death and it made me really appreciate a lot of the war movies that come after this where A character may not have been on screen for that long, but his death actually does feel meaningful in some way because the character has been defined
0: at all. I think that everything in this movie feels incredibly rushed, and the reason for that is it was. Which is, I think, like, the largest and most interesting thing to talk about here, which is the actual real-life Battle of Wake Island took place in the middle of December in 1941, and this movie starts filming in March of 1942, which is an insane turnaround for a -a based-on-a-real-life movie. That is nuts. That's like if at the start of the Iraq war, they were filming a movie by the about the Iraq war that summer. It comes out by Christmas of 2003.
1: Didn't that one 9-11 movie, though, come out pretty much immediately after?
0: Uh, the The Oliver Stone one or the flight? Eighty-three or whatever. I mean, even that I feel like was over a year later.
1: I feel like that one came out so fast.
0: The Oliver Stone one is 2006, so th- probably not that one. Is probably not what you're thinking of.
1: Flight 93 is a television film, so that's not the one I'm thinking
0: of. I mean, it is not undoable. It is not me saying, like, this cannot be done, but th- this is... To me, a film that is self-consciously trying to turn Wake Island into an Alamo moment, which is weird because historically everyone kind of remembers Pearl Harbor as the Alamo moment. Even if they're just grabbing just sort of whoever is on contract that isn't doing something today and going like, we're going to write the script as we're filming. Just the process of approving this... How fast did the military have to turn around and go like, we're making a movie of this and the studios have to go okay for it to be filming less than four months later and out about eight months later is crazy.
1: It also demonstrates that they thought that the war was still going to be going on by that point. Zooming out really far from the film aspect of this, demonstrates how much World War I had really affected people's perception of time when it came to war. Of like, oh yeah, we can have a movie out in eight months about this, because it will definitely still be going on and we will definitely need to have lots of people signing up. That's kind of interesting to me.
0: I think this is more interesting when taken as explicitly part of the military campaign in the Pacific. And I don't mean because it's a film about a military campaign in the Pacific. I mean, I think this film is more interesting to be thought of itself as part of the military campaign in the Pacific. <laughs> that The U.S. military very clearly realized like, oh, while we're scaling stuff up, we are going to get our ass kicked in the Pacific because we were not prepared for this war at all. We know we have this Brave Last Stand story. This had to be greenlit while these guys were still alive, basically. It's made so fast. Mythologizing the early defeats of the Pacific Campaign the way this movie does, where the Japanese stuff is so racist... It's also weirdly directly political. It's wild to me that the slimy Japanese ambassador mentions Franklin Delano Roosevelt by name. Because movies now, these days, even if they're this explicitly political, try and give lip service to being apolitical, you know? Right. Are like, uh, you know, President whoever. President Borge W. Gush. (laughs) We could be talking about anyone. And this one is just like, no, the president is the president right now. He will lead us to victory. I don't care if you don't fucking like him.
1: I mean, one thing I can say about the slimy Japanese ambassador who goes and says, yes, I'm coming with a mission of peace and stopped off at Wake Island before going to DC and delivering said message. And then as far as I can tell from the film... Walks out of the White House as Pearl Harbor is bombed. Uh, That just seems like the timing of it. Yeah. But I will say, at the very least, they did cast an Asian actor, which for the time is kind of unusual. Did they? Yeah. The guy who plays the Japanese ambassador is actually an American actor of Chinese descent, but he is absolutely not a white guy in yellow face.
0: Almost all of the Japanese. Soldiers are Filipino
1: Yeah, but they never speak No,
0: that is true That is not me saying you're wrong That's me saying I assumed he was too um, Because they also costume him really weirdly and give him big Coke bottle glasses so you can't see his face very
1: clearly. And they half black out his teeth, like all of his teeth are sort of rotting.
0: Right. They did all the stuff like they were doing yellow face on a white guy, so I just assumed they did.
1: It's still definitely the hyper-orientalized, like, untrustworthy Easterner portrayal. I'm not saying that it's not a racist portrayal but they did at least not cast a white guy to play the Asian guy. So, baby steps!
0: Yeah. I think the really cut corners that we're making this in five minutes thing is the acting just is not very good. Not really the actors you would want for most of these roles either. Not even just, they're not names. It's more just, you know, when you're doing a high school theater and you're like, okay, well, somebody has to play X. You know?
1: Right, like someone has to be the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, even though everyone is 18 or under.
0: Yeah, the commanding officer has big, we have to cast the nurse energy. <laughs> like, he's good, but he's not old enough to be that character as written. All of his strategic things are like, this is an old trick I learned from all the reading I've done over the years. I have a long military career.
1: And he's like 37.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> And the other thing is, this is very clearly all filmed on a California beach. They're like, oh yes, the island, we only show you one side of, but definitely there's water on the other side too.
1: Oh, apparently they <laughs> filmed a bunch of it in Salt Lake City, or like over the Salt Lake.
0: Yeah. And
1: then the Salton Sea in California. It feels like they threw it together really fast with whoever was sort of available and probably on contract and didn't have any other movies to do. Um, There's definitely no stars in it, or at least they're not stars yet. Maybe they go on to be. It's a lot of day players that they threw at a movie that they probably made very, very fast. The other moment, though, that I wanted to reference, these were the two moments that really stood out to me. One, because it didn't work. And the other one, just because it was bizarre, actually is with Major Caton. So he goes to get the civilian engineer and says, how about that gun you've been asking about? Because now they just need everybody they can to go and try to hold the island. And they go and they sit in these gun nests, like where they can fit just two people in each one. And the major just pops the top off a beer and just throws it back. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we're all going to die, but first I'm going to down this corona.
0: (laughs) Yeah, all of the cool guy last stand dialogue is very the science wasn't there yet. And
1: is totally at odds with everything else (laughs) that you've seen previously.
0: Yeah, immediately after that is our bumbling duo guys we check back in with. And they're like, what are all the blonde women we haven't fucked yet gonna do? I don't know, but the other half of them sure are satisfied. Oh God, we're getting stabbed to death. Oh God. (laughs) Like, it's just such a wild tonal shift right at the end of the movie. And doesn't play as cool at all. No,
1: it is so unsettling. (laughs) Yeah. with a bayonet (laughs) like wow you could have had a beat between the two
0: That's what I'm saying is this movie is only interesting when thought of explicitly as an actual weapon in our arsenal in World War II, which is I feel like what it's getting an award for. These guys turned around this movie and put it out fast enough that it genuinely can be a good recruiting effort for the Pacific campaign. That's why it got nominated. Because as a film... Oh boy, we've watched worse movies. Oh yeah. But as a like screen test of time, no, this doesn't hold up at all because it's not meant to. This was meant to be put in the trash bin of history the moment we won World War II. Like it is not supposed to be relevant after World War II.
1: I mean, I don't think we even needed to have won. We just needed to have had enough people sign up.
0: Right. (laughs) Like, this is the most disposable movie I think we have ever watched for Screen Test of Time.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I feel like there are newsreels I've watched that have more (laughs) contemporary relevance than this film. I mean, I'll say this for it. I was not bored because being bored would have required me to have expected more and to have been led to expect more. And it really never did that. Like, from the beginning, it was just people... Dicking around.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, this had big something to watch at the gym on TNT energy. (laughs) This is a laundry folding movie.
1: Oh, without a doubt.
0: I was never bored by this movie because I never gave it enough attention for it to bore me.
1: There were a few times where I had to go back because I was certain that I must have missed something because there was some point where they were talking about the strategy of the Japanese and then they're going to do this fancy trick to... Yeah,
0: this is the exact same moment. ...lead
1: them astray. And I rewound it and I was like, oh, they never actually outlined what that trick is at all or what they're doing that is the trick. Or, I, okay, sure. This movie does not want me to care.
0: <laughs> they do outline what the trick is. It's just wild because they spent 15 minutes on this and the major calls it an old Chinese trick like 30 times. And it's literally just, we're going to wait until they get close and then shoot them. Yeah. That's it. I get that, like, you just don't have a lot to work with here. Like the Alamo, like a lot of last stands in history, these people were just fucked, right? Like, like... (laughs) The moment war with Japan was declared, they were the most vulnerable people on the planet, and there was just absolutely nothing for them to do. But that means that all of the parts where they try and make them out to be, like, wily and really putting one over on the Japanese end up being these, like, weirdly quotidian things that are, like... Yeah, anyone would have done that because they were just doing what they could because they were in a really bad situation. Right. And trying to make it like, here's my heroic strategy. We wait until they get in range of our guns.
1: Right. <laughs> Don't shoot them until they're close enough that we could reach. Mm-hmm. That's apparently the old Chinese trick.
0: Yeah. Again, I think as a propaganda product, it's actually kind of interesting. Because, again, just the turnaround time on this is crazy. But as a movie, it feels like a movie that they made in four months, grabbing anybody that they could. Because it because it, that's what it is.
1: We should rate this film. And I'm going to do something that you may disagree with me on. Okay. But I'm going to give this movie a 1. <laughs> Because it absolutely does not stand this decreed test of time in any way whatsoever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want to go higher than that, but I agree with you. From specifically what we are rating, this is hardly a movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It barely qualifies. Yeah. It's incredibly short. Huge parts of its runtime are just B-roll footage the military shot for them. The parts that are actually shot by the director are like weird comedy skits. The meat of this film is maybe a 15 minute short, right? I think it is more interesting than a film, basically. Not it's more interesting than a film. But there are things about it that are interesting. And it is more that than an actual film of substance, you know?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely.
0: It is more interesting as an object than as a film. As a film, it's racist. It doesn't age well because it's a recruiting film for a war that started before we were born by like a fair fucking margin
1: that started before our parents were born
0: (laughs) right exactly it doesn't stand the screen test of time And I want to give it like a two or a three because grading it on a curve for like making it under time constraints. But no, if we're doing the actual screen test of time project honest and saying, how has this aged in 2020? The answer is it it hasn't. This is (laughs) not a movie anymore. It's a one.
1: And I give it a one with the understanding that I would rather watch this than a lot of movies that we've given ones. Yeah. That were trying to be movies, <laughs> which this wasn't. I mean, it's trying to be a recruiting film, and it is, and it probably was really good at that. I, don't, I mean, I don't know specifics on numbers, but I imagine that a lot of people went, yeah, let's go sign up for the war. What's hilarious to me is that Film Daily at the time called it a stirring epic. How is this an epic? Stirring Maybe, but an epic implies that it takes place over a long time in many places, that, uh, like, there's nothing epic about the scale of this film at all.
0: (laughs) I think the only thing epic about its scale is how much military footage is used.
1: Oh, they do blow up a lot of shit. Yes. The practical effects of this film are incredible.
0: In that way, the scale is epic, but it feels very small. It feels very much like they set up sets on a beach and then told the military to film some shit for them. It really feels like those were two very disconnected filming circumstances that are cut together. Right. Don't watch this movie. I mean, like, legitimately, watch this more for. An actual history class about the Pacific campaign than for any film history reason. It is not an enjoyable movie. It is hardly a movie. It, 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 it don't, don't.
1: I mean, every time that I was about to get bored, they did fully blow up a plane. <laughs> or a building, or something. I mean, it's not Mad Max Fury Road in which they blow stuff up, but also it's beautiful and amazing. But it is kind of in that they're legitimately just blowing shit up. Obviously, it's not CGI. It's 1942. They just made a lot of stuff explode. But yeah, I think that if you're taking a class or teaching a class on recruitment propaganda or American propaganda for World War II, this is an artifact that you could watch if you're trying to watch the best films of the 40s or that were nominated for best picture. This ain't it. Don't
0: bother. (laughs) It's wild that this got nominated for best picture, but I can tell why. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not in the sense that like it deserved it, but in the sense of like, okay, they weren't really technical Oscars. And even when there were technical Oscars, there wasn't a technical Oscar for this, right? There wasn't best film completed in four months (laughs) is still not an Oscar category. (laughs) But like, I...
1: (laughs) Oh, but maybe it should be. I don't know. (laughs) It might encourage people to really
0: wrap it up. I would really like to see that. There's just somebody whose job on set is to, the first time the director calls action, just hit a stopwatch. And then when the director goes, okay, that's a wrap, hit a stopwatch. (laughs) And then go, okay, you made it. You're qualified for the one month, the three month, and the six month shooting category.
1: I mean, they had for a long time Best Cinematography Black and White and Best Cinematography Color, at least up through the 70s. So, you know, why not the shooting time range? (laughs) (laughs) For next week, we are watching a movie that was probably made in more time than four months. (laughs) But maybe not. Called The Talk of the Town, starring Cary Grant... Gene Arthur and Ronald Coleman.
0: That's a pretty good cast.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's some definite potential here. Yeah. What they will do with it, who
0: knows? And like, that's a terrible poster, so... Uh,
1: Is it a terrible poster? It's not a good poster.
0: It looks like somebody traced a cigarette box, put all their faces on it, (laughs) and then went done.
1: Alright, fair enough. It's... Yeah, it actually is a terrible bow of <laughs> You know, and not only did they trace the cigarette box, but then they were like, you know what the cigarette box is missing? Little squigglies. Just somebody grab a pen. Yeah. Put some little squigglies around the Lucky Strike logo.
0: It's like when you're a little kid and you trace something and then you go, I'm going to do a little flourish on top of it so nobody knows I traced. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh so tune in next week to find out if this film is better than its poster
0: <laughs> oh we can only hope until then
1: this was a recruitment infomercial for world war II
0: <laughs> with a pretty cute dog yes the end
1: <laughs> goodbye everybody bye There's another signal from the enemy sir they demand immediate surrender
0: answer sir yes. tell him to come and get us